0: can hear me. I can hear you, it's a miracle.
1: It's a miracle after, this is our second attempt at recording History is Sexy episode, whatever this is, because yesterday I bent a cable at right angles and it went badly.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Yeah, it turns out if you like almost snap the little metal bit off the top of a cable, they just stop working. Like,
0: yeah.
1: Unbelievable. Who
0: have thunk? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, but here,
1: we're here, we made it. Yep. We are... Here for History is Sexy, where we talk about history and answer people's
0: questions and show them how it's sexy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Um, Who are you, then? I'm Dr. Emma Southern, and I'm a historian. Great. I am Janina Matheson. I'm not a historian at all.
1: No, you're a writer.
0: I am. I did history at university a little bit and was very intimidated by it because it's so much easier (laughs) in high school.
1: Yeah, it is. It's true. In high school, they kind of give you all of the... Like they just make it look like a nice neat line, and you yeah, just have to learn the order so that things happened in.
0: Here and everything has incident. a reason.
1: Yeah. yeah. Like all the questions, like what were the causes? Basically, of this?
0: high school history is fucking lies.
1: It is lies. It actually is. So good luck to everybody doing their GCSEs right now. <laughs> yeah. <have fun. laughs> uh, as we record this in May, my 16-year-old sister and my 16-year-old nephew both started their GCSEs on Monday. So Ooh. good luck to everybody. Is a do not envy you one bit, and it made me very grateful that I never have to do an exam ever again.
0: Yeah, they're not fun. This is when, why I stopped studying because I really <laughs> like the learning part of studying. I like lectures, I like tutorials, um, I like reading ridiculous things for hours about the crazy things that happened in history, but then you have to like push it all down in an essay or an exam or something, and that just feels like a wild waste of my time. <laughs> I don't mind
1: an essay, an exam, no. I was all right at exams at university where they were like very broad, open questions and then you could kind of decide how you wanted to answer it. Mm-hmm. But when it was at GCSE and A level and the questions would be quite specific and they'd be like, you have to hit these points. Oh, and yeah. You have to, like in order to make eight marks, you need to hit eight points and they have to be these points. Then I was very bad mm-hmm. at that which is why I've got not very good GCSE results and not particularly good A-level results that. <laughs> and also, I didn't work very hard for my A-levels. But apart from that, mm-hmm. uh, so I mean, I it's the exam system.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Janina, what are we talking about this week? Uh, so we're talking about a really cool thing this week. It's our steampunkiest question to date. This comes from Luke, uh, who emailed us the question is, what was the airship age like? Should it be considered a genuine period of history or simply a passing technological fad? Which is a good question. It is a good question. Although I do think genuine periods of history are very difficult to define because everything in history is connected. um, Which is why, as previously mentioned, high school history is lies. Um, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Although I do think that we can...
1: like This has a fairly... This has a very definite end. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, it ends with a pretty severe full stop. Yes, it does. Um, And it begins really... At a fairly specific point as well, I'd say. If we're talking about airships as useful things it begins with zeppelins so mm-hmm. I feel, right so what the first thing i learned when doing this which i did not know previously is that zeppelin blimp and airship are not necessarily interchangeable terms <laughs> a blimp is a soft squishy one so mm-hmm. the bag is soft and squishy and is filled up and inflates like a literal balloon so it's
0: like one big crevice where all the gas goes
1: yeah exactly mm-hmm. Whereas a Zeppelin, which was invented by Ferdinand Adolf Heinrich Augustus Graf von Zeppelin, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, of course, is a very good name. Which
0: would have been a completely normal name before he invented the Zeppelin. Yeah. But now he's like Count Zeppelin and it's ridiculous.
1: Yes, it is a little bit. It's like Tarmac Adam being named after Macadam. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, no, to be fair, Zeppelin is a fairly stupid name. <laughs> But they have a big, rigid gas bag, so the gas bag is always inflated because it's quite hard. Yeah. And
0: therefore is better for reasons that are science. So we're not science. (laughs) We're not science. I am going to talk about science a little bit in this one, though, because I found some really exciting science.
1: Mm, Okay. (laughs) I'll believe it when I
0: see it. Okay, well, we'll get to it.
1: Yeah, so they kind of changed the whole face. And that's when, like, what would say is the golden age of Zeppelins. Like, as soon as von Zeppelin, Count von Zeppelin, as his name was, (laughs) managed to get one to take off in the, like, 1900, then then that really, like, introduced the age of the airship with people being excited about them (laughs) rather than looking at them with a bit of a side eye I suppose yeah um, the other thing that we need to say about airships and I know that you're going to talk about this a bit more is that what makes an airship an airship is that it has a method of propulsion and that is the difference between a balloon and an airship because mm-hmm. a balloon just goes up and floats about pointlessly <laughs> and you just hope that it's going to go in the direction it's going to go in whereas an airship has like Propellers um, mm-hmm. and a source of Awaited. momentum. Yeah, <laughs> momentum and steering capability. So you can direct where you want to go. doesn't always happen, which is particularly a problem with the squishy ones,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because they do tend to float away a bit, which is mm-hmm. why the Zeppelin situation changed everything for the better. Because yeah. no longer were you quite as likely to suddenly start floating off into <laughs> nowhere when you didn't want to be going... Go,
0: Guys, <laughs> guys, um,
1: <laughs> where am I <we> going to land? <laughs> yeah, which when you're trying to use something as an instrument of war, which immediately as soon as the Zeppelin was invented, everybody went, Do you think we can bomb people with this? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Like the first millisecond.
0: <laughs> because people are horrible.
1: Yeah, they kind of are. Mm-hmm. And I read this book from 1910. Which was originally written, so it was the second edition. The first edition was written in 1908. <laughs> and then 1909 was like this absolute banner year for air flight. Like, <laughs> just changed everything.
0: You, you'd have to be annoyed, right, if you wrote, wrote a book. And then the next bit. year, all of the science changed. To the
1: extent that he has an entire appendix in the second edition, um, which is just listing all of the things that happened in 1909 Mm -hmm. um, that changed everything but like it's kind of amazing how much stuff happened like really quickly stuff was happening Um, and yeah basically it's called um, Airships in Peace and War and it has this brilliant sci-fi cover Mm -hmm. um, by R.P. Hearn Uh, and it's basically like here's all of the way we could totally use this to bomb people (laughs) just immediately and then he insists, and I found this very adorable, in a kind of like, oh, wow, I know what happens four years later. It was This was really interesting, actually, in the context of the episode that we did on World War One and what the fuck that was about, because there's a lot in here of stuff that you never get told about World War One. And a lot of what people were talking about, the fact that people were investing really heavily in... Armory and in new technologies to kill each other, and that they just really kind of wanted to go at using it, and that there was Mm -hmm. lots of tension. Like in this 1908 book, he's already talking about how he feels like war is coming, but he really hopes that eventually, basically, he says, the developments and improvements which may accrue in airships for war purposes, and if the (laughs) well done. (laughs) <laughs> um, the possibilities are such as to make war more terrible and uncertain oh good and hopefully and thus entered to more cheerily so like with more with more warily basically um then airships will have accomplished a good purpose and then he's like and it'll definitely be useful in peace as well so basically he's <laughs> uh-huh. the, he sees or and some people do see airships as this thing that might be so awful that it will introduce kind of early mutually assured destruction
0: this is great and it like this is this is my favorite thing about the like the first dude who started who who designed an airship basically because he was sure that they would never succeed even though his design is theoretically possible because god wouldn't allow it like he said after designing his one God would surely never allow such a machine to be successful since it would create many disturbances in the civil and political governments of mankind. Where is the man who can fail to see that no city would be proof against his surprise as the ships at any time could be manoeuvred over its public squares and houses? Um, so he was just like, yeah, I designed this thing. It could work, but God will never let it happen.
1: <laughs> but I'm trying to bash at it anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but I love this guy. This was a, He was a monk called Francis... Francesco Lana di Terzi mm-hmm. and he designed an airship in 1670 which is just wild and amazing and I love it Yep. um
1: but is his, it an like,
0: airship or is it a balloon though it's an airship um okay. it has so he was working off uh some some science that had been done by a guy called Otto von Gurek who made these things called Ma- Mageburg hemispheres I've almost definitely said that wrong yeah um so Otto von Gurek wanted to prove the strength of a vacuum. So he created these copper spheres that were then split in half and he would put the two halves together, pump out the air within them, creating a vacuum inside the spheres. And he then proved that it took like teams of eight horses to prize the two halves apart because the vacuum was so strong. Um, so using his theory this guy Francesco Lana de Terzi, designed a, an airship that had a sail in the middle so you oh, could use yeah. so like a little a, a little yacht basically I've so seen a could,
1: picture of this it's a literal
0: airship uh, it's like <laughs> not an airship so much as is a an air sailboat yeah um and then on each corner there would be a copper sphere Um, out of which the air would have been pumped so there were vacuums inside them and because the vacuum is lighter than air it would float and you could direct it and propel it forward with the sail Um, which is theoretically feasible um, (laughs) but unfortunately if the copper is thin enough to be light enough not to counterbalance the uh, weightlessness of the vacuum then the air pressure crushes it so... It's like a workable theory that isn't actually practical, but like sixteen seventy. That's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. Um... Also, um, he invented a precursor to Braille. Wow! Just on the side. Ah, yeah, he invented a a language. He was the I think the first one of the first people to design an alphabet for blind people that wasn't just copying, like letters and raising letters up. Um, But he did dashes instead of dots, so it's not as good because they're harder to distinguish than dots, which is why Braille is the one that won out at the end of the day.
1: Well, there you go. Yeah. I can see that,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, well, there you go. Good for him. I like that he was like, "Mm, God will never allow this thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's too dangerous. It will never be allowed to happen, so therefore it won't. Um,
1: Whereas, interestingly, um, Ari Han declared that um actually God thought this would be great because as soon as war became too, so terrible that every like that it would threaten to obliterate people from the sky that would introduce the age of true civilization and true Christianity.
0: Yeah. Um, of so course all naturally. you
1: yeah yeah just scare people until <laughs> they stop bombing each other which has gone really well with the nukes situation so I don't know you know. Um
0: yeah.
1: we don't do war anymore do you remember that?
0: Um, oh, yeah, war ended did now. Yeah, we stopped um, it. It's good, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well
1: done. <laughs> um, yeah, the first proper, like, official airship that got put up, um, the French were really into it. The, the this French like, were so into it. This is, like, a real French and German situation, which is probably, I oh know that's not why I didn't take off particularly, but, like, where America and Britain got kind of more into aeroplanes, the French and the Germans, especially the Germans were fucking well into airships (laughs) Um, and like the French kind of got overtaken but um, it was the French who kind of put up the first ever steerable balloons Mm -hmm. and then it was the French who invented and this sounds terrifying to be honest a steam powered dirigible Mm Mm-hmm. Like, the first proper, true airship that could actually drive itself around.
0: Yeah. Like, it was a guy called Henry Gifford in yeah. 1852, Who I think was, was coming off of the designs by Jean-Baptiste Malznier, who did a plan but never saw it through. And
1: yeah. then it was
0: experimented with by a bunch of different people in between. Because uh, that was in 1784, and a few people jumped off the back of that, and then in 1852, Henry Gifford yeah, nailed, nailed it.
1: Nailed it and was like, look at me. And then immediately, all of the great powers, being like France, Germany, Britain, Italy, America, all got together and were like, this is terrifying, guys. We might actually be able to bomb people from the sky. What do we do about it? Um, mm-hmm. And they
0: banned it. I mean, that... It would be lovely if you could ban people getting bombed from the sky, to be honest. Now, technically, there's an interesting thing. Technically, it was never
1: officially unbanned. So in 1899, everybody got together at The Hague um, mm-hmm. to have a conference about whether they should be allowed to use air power in war. In kind of the same way that everybody got together and decided about whether they should be allowed to use poison gases after World War I. But they got together and were like, look, is this legal? Or is it just going a bit far and, you know just not not is it you know not playing fair and they there were kind of two sides to the situation but in the end they decided that so though basically the nations that had air power or were developing air power were like I don't see why we wouldn't use it it's obviously great Um, and those who couldn't (laughs) afford to use it uh, or didn't have it yet were like um, please don't do that please don't (laughs) So like Russia and Portugal and other such places are like oh no I think it might actually be very bad actually please don't bomb us but eventually (laughs) it was banned because nobody really knew what it could be used for but they knew it sounded bad so they agreed that for five years there would be a moratorium on it and for the next five years there would be no air power in war and then five years later they got back together and had another conversation about it and were like okay maybe we'll just keep it banned. And then never revisited the conversation. And then World War One broke out, and obviously they were using air power.
0: <laughs> sure, great. Um, and everybody... so technically, every airstrike has been a war crime. Technically, I think so. Yeah, certainly and all the And now we're ones... doing it with drones. So, like, great. Yeah,
1: Good well, work, like humanity. I assume that they have had some conversations about it since. Can't promise that, but there is a point like during world war one where somebody said it might have been churchill actually because he was obviously a general um Mm. said like there is no law about this at the moment everything is everything about the air is technically lawless so fucking go for it
0: (laughs) i mean and that remains true to this day it's why we call it sky law (laughs) yes sky (laughs) law
1: yeah and there's a really fun story from 1907 written by h.g wells who wrote a lot of novels that nobody mm-hmm. has read. <laughs> and there one
0: novel that everyone has read.
1: And one novel that everyone has read, but like a lot of other novels. There is an Adam Roberts blog in which he is reading all of um, H.G. Wells's novels, um, not all of which are science fiction. There's like some weird political ones. Mm -hmm. But one of them is called the war in the air and is basically the war of the world, except instead of it coming from space and coming from Mars, it's just enormous dirigibles, like Mm -hmm. thousands of them invading the US and then just bombing it to shit.
0: Yeah, that is pretty terrifying. The thing of that, the the image of that, when you think about it, with if there are thousands and thousands upon them, because they're so ponderous and slow and inexorable, it's like it is a terrifying idea. Yeah, it's like the like the the um the monster, in it follows that like it's only moving at a walking pace, but it just never stops.
1: Just never going to stop. It's just going to keep, and it's enormous.
0: Yeah, um, because this is the other thing
1: about airships, especially zeppelins. Originally zeppelins used um cow intestines. They were mm-hmm. made out of cow intestines because, alright, and it would take 250,000 cows to make
0: a single airship. That's all cows. So a lot of cows. I mean, I guess it's nice to use every part of the cow, you know? We're doing yeah. stuff with the meat, doing stuff with the liver. But that using, use the intestines as well, I guess. Sure, it's too much. It's
1: so many. It's not until the like early 1900s when the Goodyear company basically invented rubber, <laughs> <laughs> or like worked out a way to manufacture it properly, that they were able to stop using cow intestines. Yeah. But which is why the Goodyear blimp is a thing that exists. Yeah. But yeah, genuinely. Genuinely 250,000 cows per thing. It's a, lot, it's a lot of cows. It is, and they're huge. Yeah. Like so huge. There's one in Germany which still exists which now houses an entire tropical resort. <laughs> Just a whole tropical resort in inside this X hangar because they were so big to build them and to house them <laughs>
0: that you can now put I don't know, several beaches inside of it that's amazing, I want to visit this resort in a hangar now
1: I really want to visit it as well
0: uh, <laughs> maybe we should do a History of Sexy field trip go if anybody wants to fund a us to yeah. the
1: History of Sexy um,
0: <laughs> yeah
1: I mean it looks like a great time it's, like, it's called Tropical Islands Resort it's just outside mm-hmm. of Berlin so we could just nip in there oh um, sure it, it was yeah it's huge it's the world's largest indoor water park wow and yeah it looks fucking great
0: to the, be honest yeah i love i love a water park i love a weird thing it's both so yeah basically yeah and it's
1: i don't know it i like being warm and not having to worry about the weather so yeah what's I not to enjoy like
0: sounds great let's do it sam yeah all right let's go <laughs>
1: Yeah, so that's a thing that exists. It's fucking huge. So, they are fucking huge. So when H.G. Wells is talking about like this huge herd of airships, portentous monsters Mm -hmm. looming over the world, like that's a genuine scary thing. Yeah, and all of this is happening alongside aeroplanes, obviously. But aeroplanes look real shit in comparison because your head's like a bicycle.
0: Next yeah. to a cruise ship, basically, yeah, because they're yeah. very small and rattly and loud and dangerous. Yeah, and it's just like a person sitting in basically a go kart in the sky. Yeah, basically, yeah,
1: yeah, like a literal nightmare. And your head mm-hmm. sticks out the top, and you, <laughs> and uh, you have to. You can only go about eight and a half inches before it comes down. Yeah, and it's made out of paper and wood and string. And, yeah, nightmarish. And yet they won. <laughs> they did win. We'll get to why they won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, they did win. Uh, it turns out, so the point at which airships get really big is kind of the years before World War One, when they are treated like another form, of, another form of armory. So navies start getting them. Once again, the French are at the forefront, then... 1905 the french get their first thing and they want to use them for actually to be honest the first time that the french use something similar is napoleon uses balloons to try and scare the egyptians when he invades egypt
0: napoleon used balloons
1: yeah that's so good <laughs> but mostly people found them quite baffling uh, uh-huh. and so he found them kind of embarrassing and retired them but one of the books <laughs> that i was reading said if only he had, had them at waterloo because they were uh, they were often used for reconnaissance oh. um, by armies so because obviously they didn't like planes couldn't fly very far, but you could totally use a balloon. If he could, if he had used them at Waterloo, he might have known that the Prussians were coming well before they did and been able to plan for it, rather than being like, ah, fuck, they came. Yeah. But I mean, it's probably best that he didn't. I guess. Don't really know, but I'm going to <laughs> I mean, assume that it was good that he didn't win. Yeah,
0: he seemed bad. He seemed bad, I guess. <laughs> Napoleon seemed generally bad. Yeah. But then who knows? Because again. I'll tell you it's just written by the winners.
1: It's a real struggle because I'm like, he, I mean, it was a French empire, but he
0: was fighting the British empire. So I don't know, it's a struggle to know who wins in that situation. Yeah, the, definitely, you kind of want to be with anyone who's against the British empire. Exactly. But
1: like, that's my immediate feeling. Is
0: would the French, <laughs> like, There, there are no good empires. Everyone is bad. Everyone is bad if they have an empire. That's my ruling. I feel that's fair.
1: Also, I've read a lot of sharp books, which I love very much. Mm -hmm. And the French come off very badly in that, real baddies. So almost everything I know about Napoleon comes from the sharp books. And I assume that they are all correct in every way. And the French are all 100% um, either sexy ladies or uh, kind of slightly slimy, creepy men who are bad to the core.
0: Sure. I know, like, at least four French French people and that seems to track. I Are only know French women, ladies. I think. Yeah, They're all very go. sexy. I don't know if I know any French men.
1: Would they probably fall for Sean Bean and want to marry him but understand when he didn't want to marry them because they were themselves independent ladies?
0: I mean, the only like, w- one of them has married a ginger Englishman. So yes, is what so, we're yeah. saying. Mm. Yes. Um... <laughs> I mean, may, all right, well, maybe Sharp is completely correct about this. Maybe. Based on the data we have. Based on the evidence we've collected. <laughs> uh, I see nothing wrong with this. Yeah, uh, no, I'm fine. I can sign off on that.
1: Yeah, so, uh, so that was the first time it was tried and it, it embarrassed him. But they were not. They, you know, got rid of Napoleon, and they tried again with an actual dirigible, mm-hmm. and then Russia Which, and Which, by the way, great yeah. word. Dirigible it is, a is word. such a
0: good word. Yeah, it sounds so fairy tale. Why do we? Why like? It kind of is sad to me that the remnants of the airship era are blimps and zeppelins when we could have talked about dirigibles.
1: Yeah, that's true. Dirigible is good. I think it, It's I very know. good.
0: Maybe blimp and zeppelin both. Bat, just yeah,
1: very bad. dirigible technically describes both of them, so we could just cause instead of we'll just we'll change this, we'll be like, What was the dirigible age? Yeah. like?
0: because dirigible um, li- literally just means a steerable balloon,
1: yeah, thing. so
0: it's both of them.
1: All right, we'll just use dirigible yeah. from now on. They're all dirigibles, great, okay, yeah. So then everybody got one, and then Germany, I'm sorry, got a Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Which is even bigger than all the rest of them and cooler.
0: Yeah, with that hard with that hard shell. Yeah, and now
1: it's like nineteen ten and everyone's got one and also everybody has a load of guns that they want to know what happens with and some tanks and some other things. And then World War One breaks out. How convenient for everyone involved. How convenient. In order to do that you can listen to literally episode 2 of this podcast where we talk about yep. World War 1 I don't remember anything we said in it but I'm sure and it it's was I think
0: uh, where we landed on it was a clusterfuck that didn't it was a happen. clusterfuck
1: in every way yeah but everybody really wanted it it was interesting I have to say reading this and seeing how far back the almost preparation for it went yeah people were just gunning for a fight like, solidly, nearly 10 years beforehand, people were saying, like, oh, there'll be a war any time now, and, like, it could come any minute, and really emotionally preparing themselves for it.
0: This is when you know that all politicians are bad, right? Because everyone is going, there's going to be a war, and no one is going, how do we stop it? Yeah. Except <laughs> poor old, you know, artists in the middle being like, do we have to? Yeah, we'd really rather not.
1: Yeah, exactly. So... Now, when you think of World War One, what you think of is trenches just, mm-hmm. and that being the only thing that happened. But there's a as, reason for that, it turns out. <laughs> there's a reason for that, it turns out. But I tell you, it's not the only thing that happened. There was a fucking first blitz. Yep. And it was because obviously planes couldn't fly far enough in order to actually bomb people.
0: And I don't, I don't know if they could carry heavy enough loads for bombs at that point either. I'm not as super up on my plane science, but I think the capacity for cargo was not great at that point because bullets much lighter than.
1: Yes, and they were also like dropped out of the sky a lot. Like they were being a pilot. In the, in a plane in the First World War was incredibly dangerous, like yeah. incredibly dangerous. <laughs> you had a reasonably like a one in three chance of dropping out of the sky or dying somehow, and like it, you're and dying quickly. Like there's that bit in Blackadder, isn't there? The twenty minutesers, uh, they call them twenty minutes, because oh, yeah. they spend twenty minutes in the sky. And Blackadder and Drake think that that's their day's work, but what it means is you spend twenty minutes in the sky before you die. Yes. Yeah. yeah whereas zeppelins in particular were pretty safe not massively safe because they were still big balls of hydrogen floating through the sky mm-hmm. like enormous balls of hydrogen but they were safer than a plane which is made of spit and superglee. <laughs> and so they started attempting to bomb britain into submission and they bombed the shit out of london as much as it was possible to bomb the shit out of london in 1915 mm-hmm. yeah and they did a lot of damage and they were very keen on them. Like, once a fortnight, they would happen, approximately. The first one, I have to say, did not go brilliantly. Like, <laughs> the first attempt, they sent um,
0: three no, Zeppelins. This is, this is maybe one of my favourite wartime missions that's ever happened. It's very cute. It's as good as the one about the... I mean,
1: it's not as good, obviously, because some people do die, but it's as good, as, almost as good as the one about... Or is it, Liechtenstein sending off eighty people to help yes. out Italy and coming back with
0: eighty one. Yes, that uh, is brilliant. So this is the second best thing, and like obviously people did die and it's very sad, but it's <laughs> it's it's a
1: disaster. It's, it's one of those like really good like wartime farces. That, yes, where you're like I would, so I, much went into this and it went so wrong.
0: I would really like a like sort of airplane-style movie, I think, about this particular attempt at a raid or yeah. a, a, a bombing raid. Um, yeah,
1: how I stopped worrying and learned to love the Zeppelin, something like yes, that. Yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah, so their first attempt, they sent three Zeppelins and they tried to bomb Yarmouth. I don't know why they chose Yarmouth, maybe <laughs> boats, but they just tried to bomb Yarmouth. One didn't make it and had to turn back. Mm-hmm. One drifted off course and didn't really know where they were and became confused and lost so they decided to just drop their bomb wherever they were
0: mm-hmm.
1: dropped over a different town and killed a grand total of two people mm-hmm. one made it to yarmouth and managed to kill one man and one woman
0: <laughs> it's i mean okay like admittedly if you were in yarmouth or that other town and that happened, that would be terrifying. Yeah, bad times. Very, very bad times and traumatic and disastrous and real people did die. And that is, for people on the ground, all of my sympathies. (laughs) But for the German army, this is just... It's magnificent. I love it. Yeah, it's just be.
1: It's like a such a like. How is this going? So you can imagine them like in their war room,
0: being like, "Oh my god!" Like, how, how, like yeah. How much ramping up was there to this first attempt like, at, at blimp bombing people? Possibly nearly a million cows died oh, for this. <laughs>
1: and this is what happened like they knocked over a phone box or managed to kill an old man Like, <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't stop them and they sent them quite often and I found this really good book which is called the age of zeppelin or something like that what was it called uh it is called the zeppelin reader and mm-hmm. it was all Extracts from books and letters and songs and drawings And basically artwork that was created about Zeppelins During the age of the Zeppelin And it had lots of descriptions from letters Of people writing like as they were coming and describing basically the first blitz in London because they were kind mm-hmm. of constantly being bombed by zeppelins Yeah, some of them I have to say surprisingly beautiful as descriptions I don't know who Lady Oteline morell is but she's a cracker of a not- love writer did you actually want me to read it a
0: bit? Yeah, obviously.
1: So this is September the ninth, nineteen fifteen. Last night, when we were coming home, the guns broke out and there was a lot of noise. Then we saw the zeppelin above us, just ahead, amid a gleaming clouds, a gleaming of clouds high up, like a bright golden finger. That's a bit bad, but still quite small. <laughs> Camera really we be winners. Yeah, quite small among a fragile incandescence of clouds, and underneath it were splashes of fire as the shells fired from earth burst. Then there were flashes near the ground and the shaking noise. It was like Milton. Then there was war in heaven. But it was not angels. It was that small golden zeppelin, like an oval world high up. It seemed as though the cosmic order was gone, as if there had come a new order, a new heaven above us, and if the world in anger were trying to revoke it. Then the small, long, ovate luminary, the new world in the heavens disappeared again. I cannot get over it that the moon is not the queen of the sky by night and the stars the lesser lights it seems the zeppelin is in the zenith of the night golden like the moon having taken control of the sky and the bursting shells are the lesser lights it seems our cosmos has burst burst at last the stars and moon blown away the envelope of the sky burst out and a new cosmos appeared
0: wow i know right that is really good i mean she's got some fancy words that she doesn't need Um, I mean, sure, but it's 1915. It is 1915. Yeah, that's amazing. And,
1: like, there's quite a few descriptions like this. One of them is really interesting because it's, like, there's a bombing, but almost nobody reacts to it because they almost don't know how to react to it, which is really interesting. Yeah. But, like, you know, it was a thing. And there's they had air raid shelters and they would have to go and hide in them. And, like there's this I feel like there's this whole idea of World War one that we sent all the Tommies off to the trench and then they got trench fruit and p t s d and then they came back, yeah, and everybody at home was just twiddling their thumbs, but actually yeah. there was a a really a significant attempt to bomb the shit out of London, yeah <laughs> as much as it was possible, and they were big and silent and scary, and the only thing that really saved us according to An Osprey book that I read about it called The First Blitz. Do you know what Osprey books are? No. They are books for a certain kind of man who wishes he was in the war.
0: (laughs) Sure. Uh, They're Brexit books? Kind of,
1: yeah. They are for middle-aged men who've never married. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And they are very, 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 very detailed little books about very specific things. Mm-hmm. So some of them will get to the real nitty gritty of looking at like a particular kind of tank and they will just go on for ages. And some of them are like a written version of The Deadliest Warrior. Sure. So they're like Roman gladiator versus SAS soldier in 1985. Incredible. <laughs> and this one was about the first Blitz, and so it was very useful. They have lots of pictures, but they also have drawings in them, which is very fun. So... Mm-hmm. They have lots of drawings of what it would totally have been like if your house was on fire. That's a handy, handy a, initial. A policeman is pointing at it and a woman is going, oh, no, <laughs> that, that, that some woman has done. It's very good. But the, the thing, a line from that was the weather was probably Britain's greatest ally in restricting the German determination to bomb the nation into submission. <laughs> because if any time it was raining, cloudy, a bit foggy, Windy, an airship can't really get near. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> like, it's very much like the train system today. Very similar, yes. Mm. If there is a leaf anywhere near it, then it's fucked.
0: Yep. Can't run trains with slippery, slippery rails.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, turns out rails are too hot, rails are too cold, rails yep. are too slippery, rails are too dry. Yep. Any of those things. Very similar. Yeah, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too windy, it's too rainy, it's too dry. Anything like that <laughs> is going to stop. A zeppelin in 1915, 1916
0: from getting where it needs to be <laughs> Well that's very convenient
1: <laughs> It was very convenient So probably the one time that the British weather has been a real relief Because otherwise it could have been a lot worse
0: Yeah It's
1: also helped that zeppelins are very big And when they do get hit by something They do not make it back No like If it hit you hit a zeppelin then it just goes up It doesn't come back with a hole in its wing
0: Yeah no incredibly flammable these boys
1: are Especially during this time, because basically you can use two things to, to, use, to raise a Zeppelin. You, and it has to be a gas that's lighter than air. So you can use hydrogen
0: mm-hmm.
1: or you can use helium. And helium yeah. is ideal because it's very stable and it's not really flammable at all. But it's also very limited. Yes. And all of it is in the US. All of it is in the US. It's made in the center of sun, so you can't really make it. And there is a limited amount of it, really, on Earth. There is a technically a helium shortage right
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> I read one account, and I don't actually think I clicked this out. I don't know why, of a particular airship that at one point had all of the helium in it. Yeah, yeah. just all of it. So, you, it's not a great situation because there's no solution to it. You can't there just isn't. you can't just have helium when when there isn't any, and hydrogen will blow up on a dime so it is
1: yeah hydrogen will blow up on a dime but basically the americans had almost all of the helium because they have helium natural gas fields which means that they control the in- almost entire world supply of helium they own it and they can give it to whoever they want and mm-hmm. oddly they didn't want to give it to the germans during world war one which is yeah fun- funny that funny that so the germans were using hydrogen which is very very light and very very abundant because it's fucking everywhere Mm-hmm. It's all over you right now.
0: Yeah, There's nothing you can do of, about it. Part of air.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, as we will see in a bit, it once it is here, it will it will go right up. It's very flammable. Yeah, and but mostly that happened over the sea. Nobody really saw it, so it didn't matter. But the Germans started the war with eighty-two airships and ended with nine, <laughs> which is a yes. as, as far as return on investment goes, not great. It's and they also great. lost the war. And didn't bomb Britain into submission, so it was a bad time all round. But that did not stop them from writing a lot of songs about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, the song this 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 poker you've thrown in there.
1: I yes. Yeah, so the Zeppelin Reader contains some children's songs and a thing called the Zeppelin Poker <laughs> from the musical I traded gold for iron. Uh huh. Yeah. So And it is
0: Cracking <laughs> It makes little to no sense Also the scansion Is appalling But I'm guessing That is partly Because it's translated From German It might scan better In, yeah, in German I
1: feel like they might Have gone for a literal Translation Rather than yeah, You know A, a translation A poetic translation Exactly one. Yeah. That feels nice Or possibly it's just A very bad song It might be It is a, a poker And I'm really hoping That Oliver will put In some poker music here <laughs> And that everybody uh, that is listening to this is imagining John Candy right now saying "poker, poker, poker."
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that's just the law. It's a requirement. It is. That's all I can hear. Yeah, um, I don't make the rules.
1: Yeah. So, all right. Uh, I feel like you should read it because you're the musical theatre person in this relationship. Sure, sure. I will read it, and I will do my best
0: with the terrible scansion. Okay, it's. I mean, it's real bad, but we know it's real bad, me. <laughs> Zeppelin, that is a man who is second to none, leads our flight toward victory before the war's begun. He soars high over everyone, below him rages their fighting buzz a little bomb sails down just like a flash of lightning and when the enemy fires back laughs back our zeppelin this little bomb brings fond regards from vienna and berlin in paris people shake all over in terror as they wait the count prefers to come at night expect him at half past eight (laughs) nothing is as sure as this yet who would have dared to say the count flies air raids over paris and does so every day he commands the Air Force might like no one ever saw, leads Germany to a new height, and with her, Austria. That doesn't even rhyme. Doesn't a little cry. bird comes flying by, and its name is Zeppi Zeppelin. A little bomb is in its beak of this Zeppi Zippy Zeppelin. Oh, how much they'd like to snatch the Zeppi Zippy Zeppelin from the sky. Oh, what a catch. But snails, you'll never fell him. It's <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> It's the Zeppie Zeppie Zeppelin that's my
1: favourite bit. It's
0: incredible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I also like the children's song Fly Zeppelin, which goes Fly Zeppelin, help us in the war, fly
0: to England. England will be destroyed by fire. Fly Zeppelin. <laughs> You know, it's simple, it's direct, it's to the point. <laughs> you know exactly where you're going with it. It's not complicating its message at all.
1: No. I mean, to be fair, the Zeppelin poker has not got an enormously complicated
0: message. It um, does not. It just. Zeppelin is great, everyone will die.
1: Yeah. Like, we're going to bomb the shit out of the British and the French and we're going to win. And it did not go as well. But I appreciate that they were really optimistic about it. They were so behind it. I feel like the Zeppelin or the airship dirigible is an almost inherently optimistic object. <laughs> like, yeah. it's so big. They mm-hmm. are just so big. And when you look at footage of them, because obviously this is all happening in the 20s. So, and the, like there is I- images, there's this really cool image of a Zeppelin in the spotlights over London. Yeah, it's incredible. And it's really cool. I mean, it looks a bit like a gherkin, but it's <laughs> like, you can see how <laughs> immense it is. Yeah, I will put this on the Kofi page at uh, the very least, if I don't remember to put it on Twitter, because it's uh, like, and you can see the images of them and they they are really amazing sites. And they do feel kind of like, it makes you think of like Crystal Palace and World's Fairs and being excited about, like the uh, RP Hearn book, says, like, what electricity was to the 19th century is what airships are going to be to the 20th century, which was, mm-hmm. uh,
0: op- like, it just feels so... just feels inherently optimistic. <laughs> yeah, but I guess that there's a reason for it, like, because at this point in time, planes were, as we've said, tiny little tin cans... Yeah. ...for one person, whereas Zeppelins, if you're not using them for war could cut a lot of people they're they they're very big so it was the idea that they could be expanded for commercial uses really you can imagine it being so tantalizing yeah that you could take a cruise like it's like being on a cruise ship but in the air in the air yeah and then you there's get... also like a sense of kind of like majesty about them because they're so big and so slow and they just sort of glide it does have going. that kind
1: of cruise ship like you know being on the QE2 and slowly floating yeah. gently and elegantly
0: just like but, gliding through the waves except that it's in the sky
1: yeah and that is really what they tried to do with it after the war it took a while because nobody was really into them except the Germans and the Germans weren't allowed to do anything <laughs> because they had been hobbled yeah they'd been grounded by they had been grounded by the allies else. Also, it didn't go very well, weirdly. No, funny that. (laughs) Learned that in GCSE. (laughs) (laughs) But eventually, they kind of got it back together. The Americans started getting into it, and they started to build this idea that they could use it for continental flight and for transatlantic flight, and it would be a really cool and much faster way of travelling. Yeah. And... Britain tried to build some things. They Britain, for a while, really wanted to be into building airships, but wasn't very good at it. Sure. France wanted them all to die. Sure. Italy wanted them all to die. And the Americans, when they started getting into really big things, kind of got into it, although they were more into aeroplanes. Sure. But they liked like round-the-world flights and things, so... It really took off again in the late twenties when a thing called the Graf Zeppelin was built, which was. I read read a book which was written by one of the guys who worked on the Graf Zeppelin, and he kept describing it as the most famous zeppelin, (laughs) and I just kept thinking, I don't think that it
0: was.
1: (laughs) I mean, the book was literally about the Graf Zeppelin and the Hindenburg, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which we've avoided saying. It was we called have. The, the Golden Age of Passenger Airships, the Graf Zeppelin and the Hindenburg by uh, Harold Dick and Douglas Robinson. Um, and, yeah, they keep repeatedly saying that it's the most famous one. It's the Graf Zeppelin and the Graf Zeppelin 2. And I'm going, mm, I don't know that it absolutely is.
0: Absolutely not.
1: <laughs> but for a while it was, before the Hindenburg ruined everything. Sure. The Graf Zeppelin was, like, the thing. And um, Rudolf Hurst, who people may know as the newspaper man who is the basis for Charles Foster Kane in Citizen Kane. Mm -hmm, Sure. Or possibly don't, because maybe they don't like
0: Citizen Kane as much as I do. Um, I've never actually seen Citizen Kane. (gasps) I know. Oh, did that hurt. I'm sorry. Yeah, I've never got around to it. One day. One day I will. Wow. It's so good. I mean, that is what they tell me.
1: Yeah, anyone who tells you it isn't is lying.
0: Oh, well, that's interesting because Jamie doesn't actually like it.
1: Jamie is wrong and bad.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to disagree with that. <laughs> Jamie Drew is
1: a wrong bad man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> feel free to tell him I said
0: that. <laughs> I will. I won't give him any context.
1: No. I mean, it's not like I don't tell him that.
0: He'd probably more <laughs> comfortable with that than
1: when I tell him he's great because he hates that. So He does
0: hate that so much.
1: Anyway, so Rudolf Hirst financed the Gram Zeppelin going on a round the world tour, mm-hmm. which was like genuine thrills at the time. I mean, of course
0: it was. Like that's not the sort of thing you could do. Yeah.
1: You definitely couldn't like at the time Planes are still trying to get Just across the Atlantic Let alone anything else Yeah And on YouTube I watched a load of footage Of the round the World Tour mm-hmm. And like there's just thousands of people Coming out to have a look at it And it took off from, from New York That was Rudolf Hirst's like
0: what's Stipulation Yes
1: that Like that's what he needed uh, yeah. <laughs> Rather than going from uh, Germany he so he insisted it go from New York and it travelled all the way around the world and then well and then arrived back in LA. Yeah. Nice, it got got to see both coasts, I guess. Yeah, and did a good job. Like it had a lovely time and everything yeah. was great. And wherever it stopped, like then everybody came out to see it and celebrate. And you can see all of these children and people running around because the way you this is very fun. This is what I learned is that when you bring a, a zeppelin down. What you do, they do is they try and get as low as they can, and then mm-hmm. they just drop ropes, and then people on the bottom grab the ropes and pull. Yeah. that's Which is- <laughs> not super efficient. It's not spectacularly efficient. Yeah. But I do enjoy it. Yeah. So, like, there's all these people jumping around, having a lovely time. Yeah. It's great. And... Everybody feels very optimistic about it. And then they start doing loads of articles about all this stuff. And I found all of these great articles from the twenties about how they were going to be able to travel from New York to Chicago in ten hours. Jeez. Oh, I know. <laughs> then I looked up how long it currently takes to travel from New York to Chicago. It's about two hours and forty-five minutes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it would be like a nine in comparison to like, I don't know, driving in a nineteen twenties car much nicer
0: also I imagine like from the photos I've seen of the sort of more commercial ziplines they weren't like planes they were like cruise ships so I think most people I mean at this point they were definitely luxury items so you'd have like a berth, you'd have space to chill you don't have you're not squelched into a tiny little seat that is enough room for half a person
1: you're not getting like deep vein thrombosis yeah on an airship, you are getting a nice sit-down meal and a bed. The one from I found one from Current History, which said that the first airship will have a capacity of 4 million cubic feet of helium, should cover the distance between New York and Chicago in 10 hours. About 100 passengers will be transported overnight in berths similar to those on steamships. Mm-hmm. In addition, it will be able to carry 30 tonnes of mail, express or cargo.
0: Well, there you go it's not bad yeah so it's, it's very like, much I think I feel like if there was still a thing and that was the cost like they took a lot longer than plane like, it's like choosing to go on a train now in Europe yeah. rather than fly somewhere it's not it's just a nicer way to travel even though it takes a lot longer but you can chill and you can have a nice drink yeah. and you can sleep Well like You can get the
1: ferry From where I live To like Liverpool When I moved here That's what me and Livia did Livia being my cat um, Because they didn't want To put her on a plane So from Liverpool To Belfast And it takes like Eight hours But you get a little cabin It's got a cinema on board And uh, we just had a wee nap It was nice Yeah Uh, And I You know It was fun And uh, yeah I feel like it would be quite nice It probably It's obviously immensely expensive Yeah (laughs) (laughs) But it is still something You can do And then they start running Germany, for reasons unclear, start running flights from Germany to Rio de Janeiro regularly. Sure. Like, that you can just nip backwards and forwards, which is lovely. So for a little bit of the 30s, they're not, like, very regular, as in, like, twice a day or anything. Yeah. But, like, a couple of times a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which up from Niver is pretty good. Yeah. And it is a way that very posh people travel, so... In 1937, which is the bad year,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the Hindenburg was supposed to be picking up a load of people for the coronation of George VI. Mm-hmm. So loads of people were travelling to Europe from America and from South America, and they were all going over for the coronation. And that was those, that's the kind of people who are travelling in yeah. lovely the lovely Graf Zeppelin II and the Hindenburg. Yeah. And if you look in the images inside, I will put this weird... I don't don't know why this was on Gizmodo of all places, (laughs) but it's a really, really good collection of pictures of the whole real golden age, like 1900 to 1937. Loads of images of different types of airships, like little ones, like bombers, that have just two or three people. And then the giant ones, which have... Massive seats and birds And like Basically looks like a nice dining room That you would go to Yeah, And they look lovely Like they've got a bed They've got a little kitchen Just looks super chill Yeah, it looks lovely A maid prepares a dish in the kitchen of the airship R100 Lovely Uh, Looking at the veranda deck Lovely Everybody having (laughs) a nice dinner Lovely The Graf Zeppelin over Wembley Stadium During the 1930 Cup final Lovely (laughs) <laughs> everybody looks like they haven't gone. there's a really brilliant picture of a 1931 picture of the graf zeppelin flying over the pyramids of giza
0: that is excellent
1: it is yeah so yeah i'll put these up because they're amazing but then unfortunately while the graf zeppelin was making everybody happy and people it was really starting to be a luxury way to travel around the world. The something terrible happened to the Hindenburg that nobody really knows what it was. It was caught on television and within 20 seconds it went from, look at the lovely thing. Oh, wow, look how big the Hindenburg is. This is so exciting. To-
0: oh, dear God, it's gone. Yeah, because it's yeah, be- highly, highly flammable.
1: Yes, highly, highly flammable. And it, basically, so what happened to the Hindenburg is it's flying into New Jersey as a stop on its way to Rio. It is being filmed because it's still quite exciting that it's coming in, Um, and there is a live radio commentary by a guy called Herbert Morrison. Something happens that's a bit unclear what it is, but there is a You can't
0: really do much forensic investigation to try and find out what caused the fire when basically everything is gone.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, and you can watch the video, um, which exists because it was being filmed, Um, and it... There is a spark of some kind and then all of a sudden it just goes up. Like it, one minute it is, like not even one minute, one second it yeah. is a ship and the next second it is a ball of flame and then the next second it's on the ground and then the next second it's just burning. It was not as deadly as it looks. 36 people died, mm-hmm. but that is less than half the people that were on board. So most people did survive. Yeah. A lot by like jumping out and running away. But it was just such a dramatic thing for people to see and for and the Herbert Morrison's radio commentary is which they played on air the next day is really you, which you can also
0: listen to on YouTube. So handy. So handy all the history you can just listen to nowadays.
1: I know it's really good. Um so you can see there's a um I'll put these links up and Oliver might put in some clips.
2: It's starting to rain again. It's, the rain had blacked uh, up a little bit. The back motors of the ship are just holding it uh, just enough to keep it from... It burst into flames. Get it started. Get it started. It's rising, and it's rising. It's rising. Terrible. Oh, my. Get out of the way, please. It's burning, bursting into flames and, and it's falling on the morning fast and all the folks between it. This is terrible. This is one of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's... It's... it's Twenty, oh, four, five hundred or five hundred feet into the sky, and it, it's a terrific crash. Ladies and gentlemen, It's smoke and the flames now, and the flame is rising to the ground, not quite to the mooring mass. All the humanity and all the passengers screaming around here. I don't do it. I can't even talk to people friends around there. <laughs> It's it's it's, uh, I I can't talk, ladies and gentlemen. Honestly, it's just laying down massive smoking (laughs) wreckage. And everybody can't hardly breathe and talk and screaming. Lady, I'm sorry. Honestly, I I can hardly breathe. I'm going to step inside while I cannot see it. (laughs) Charlie, that's terrible. (laughs) I can't let right, I'm going to have to stop for a minute because they, I've lost the voices. The worst thing I've ever witnessed.
1: But the like, the line of like, oh the humanity, oh the humanity. That's Herbert Morrison talking about the Hindenburg going That's down. That's where it
0: that comes from. Yeah, um, that is incredible.
1: So what they see on the ground is it goes up in a ball of flame. People start throwing themselves out of it, and then it falls onto. People start rushing towards it. Um, mm-hmm. and all of the people who are trying to kind of pull it down it comes down on top of them and quite a few of the people who die are people on the ground yeah so what they see is what appears to be everybody instantly dying and takes yeah. because news is slow it's not 24 hour and immediate. it takes a while to discover that they didn't and by that time what people used to see was a beautiful elegant thing floating through the sky and what they saw after that was a ball
0: of fire in the sky. <laughs> yeah, and the idea of it I think like even once you know that um you know, it, you know, most of the most of the people on board survived, even after you know that, it's still the idea of being basically traveling in a fireball in the sky yeah. that is terrifying. Yeah,
1: it is. Like the potential just knowing that it is the potential yeah, Just no one's getting It just kills confidence dead And there had yes. been a couple of years before A much more um, Much more dramatic And much more deadly Crash where one had gone into the sea And killed almost everybody on board Killed like 90 mm. people But because it wasn't televised Because it wasn't caught on camera It was just a line in newspapers In the yeah. same way that the Titanic didn't kill ships like yeah. Because it doesn't have That visual image And this is Almost one of the first times that like television really fucking kills an industry <laughs> <laughs> because no one is getting going anywhere near it ever again. Like it yeah. just that's it's done. Yeah. And at that oh, and it's helped along by the fact that newspaper newspapers, airplanes are getting a lot better. Yeah. And people have now gone around the world and, you know, they are now developing the technologies there. But. The people who are clinging on to airships as this as a luxury item, as an item that could still be useful, are just like they have nothing that they can do in the face of what they see. Yeah, and you you know the worst PR moment in history. It might be the worst PR moment in history, and yeah, I really recommend that you watch it because it's only it is genuinely only a few seconds long. Yeah, but it is there's the British Path one which I will link, and yeah, it is. It is horrifying, I'm not getting one. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, it's like this tiny little gondola underneath and then the thing above it is like a
0: million times its size and it's just full of death. Yes, and it's the sort of thing as well that once people have seen that, you can't, I I don't think you can even market um, helium airships, even no. if they were more commercially viable than they are because of the scarcity of helium. Because your average person isn't like... You can't just say it's a different guess, it's a better guess. Yeah, it's a better guess, I promise. Yeah, that's a very hard sell when most people don't know that, you know,
1: Yeah, that much
0: about your average gas.
1: I'm all right, I'll just get a boat, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm extremely fine. Yeah, no, it really does. It really is almost impressive how much it just kills it stone Day, <laughs> and now all that's left is a Goodyear blimp which i guess still floats around just and just makes me above think of the simpsons sports,
0: sports things i feel like
1: blimps mm. were more of a thing when i was younger you used to occasionally see them like at sports things or when something was going on yeah and i, I honestly couldn't tell you the last time i'd seen one probably 20 years ago yeah i don't know although while i was searching for this i found There's been an article a year in an American paper somewhere for the past couple of years as like, is this going to be the new age of airships? And they keep like, somebody is always trying to bring them back. (laughs) Uh, There was one in the New Yorker that was like, is this going to be the new age, which was from a few years ago. A new generation of airships is born from the New Yorker. <laughs> it's like yeah. isn't. it definitely
0: isn't definitely. No, I don't think it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, and then there was one, another one from 2017, and like every so often. So there's like a few guys out there, desperately I'm trying to bring them back. We're just, you know, enjoying them. Yeah, yeah. There's people who are investing. Apparently, the American government still invests in it a bit. But like they're 98% invested in not that. Yeah. So 98, 98%. Like, but there are these people who are like really into it, which is, I find very sweet. Um, I mean,
0: to be fair, I have to go sit in a plane for 30 odd hours every year or so. And if I had the option to, just gently cruise for a week instead of that in a nice berth (laughs) with a bed in space and slowly watch the world pass by underneath me. I might choose that yeah, if if I could afford it.
1: I definitely wouldn't be able to afford it. but I mean, if I could, but then I would, I don't know, if I was going to, I feel like if I was going to be able to afford gently cruising, then I would probably be able to afford like business class and at least have legroom.
0: That is very true.
1: And also get there in 17 hours rather than a week.
0: That, yeah, there's that a fair point.
1: Yeah, and that right there is why airships aren't coming back. Although so
0: I would be interested to know the science on how it affects jet lag to travel oh. more slowly. Because you get there in your first week's knocked out anyway because you're That's exhausted. That's
1: true. That's true, yeah. I mean, it might well because you're like going hour by hour rather than jumping. Yeah, it's generally eight hours. Yeah,
0: And it's like the, the time zone is changing. With you. With you, yeah. I'd be
1: interested. It would be interesting. Well, maybe one day you can try that.
0: We did talking about how going up, going on planes affects your body. A wee tidbit from the developmental stage of airships. Kind of before would completely split off into airships and balloons. Yeah. I just love this so much that I have to mention it before we finish. Uh, there were these guys called the Montgolfier brothers in um, France. What is why it with of
1: them? brothers and air things?
0: Like, why They're are they always... A is, yeah, why are few brothers? Yeah, this they... is bros getting together about going into the sky. It's sweet. It is sweet. <laughs> So this guy called Joseph Michel Montgoffier noticed that smoke rises and that it causes sparks to rise with it and little fragments from fires to rise with it. And he, I think he thought that it was the actual smoke itself that was causing it to rise rather than the heat. But nevertheless, he started experiment, experimenting and trying to put it inside cloth so that things could go up which obviously eventually led to hot air balloons. So they made a few and showed them off around the neighbourhood and eventually went to Paris with their invention to basically to be like, look, Paris, we invented flight. And they got there and they showed them to the king. This is in 1782-ish, eighty two or eighty three. But I think this next part came from the king. I don't think it came from the brothers. (laughs) Um, But it's my favourite thing ever. There was concern about how going up that high would affect human beings physically. Oh, yeah. So they didn't want to just jump into it. So they sent a sheep up in a balloon before they would agree to allowing humans to go up. And and this may be my favorite thing I have discovered in the course of this entire podcast. Yep. They also sent up a duck as a control. <laughs> cuz ducks already go up high. <laughs> I see. I like it. I like the scientific method. It's amazing. Method. Yeah. Right, that and there was also a rooster science. as a secondary control because a rooster is also a bird, but it doesn't go up high. I enjoy it. I wonder what variables they were looking
1: at between <gasps> I, the Yeah like what were they comparing between the sheep and the duck
0: <laughs> I, I, all I can imagine is that they sent them out, brought them back down and they were like do they seem fine they seem yeah. fine
1: they 100% dissected them just for funsies because oh, no, this I is like, the 18th think- century and I bet they don't like <laughs> don't, just fucking dissecting everything at that time
0: um, well that's less delightful now that you've said that. But...
1: <laughs> they definitely didn't. They lived as heroes forever <laughs> as the first things first things Retire to come into them the sky.
0: To the you've served your country and science yeah. farm. Or given like Royal Academy medals. Yeah, well I just you know, a duck is a control. Yeah. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. I appreciate it. I appreciate <laughs> it very much. Not even a pigeon. <laughs> a duck. Not a pigeon, it is a duck. Yeah, beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, do you think that answers the question?
0: I think it does answer the question. Yes.
1: Yeah. It was. It was going all right until everything went wrong. Until uh, <laughs> everyone realised that there were fireballs waiting to happen.
0: But that's kind of obviously the Hindenburg disaster was a disaster and awful and people died and everything like that. But it does mean that now they're all such a mythical storybook objects. Like yeah. It's the steampunky thing and it's beautiful in fiction and you see things like, you know, Bioshock Infinite and you're like, Oh look beautiful, dirigibles, how how majestic and fairy tale like they are and I think I kinda like that they're not an everyday item. I think that is
1: probably why the attempts any attempts to bring them back will never succeed. Because everyone's like, Oh, what a lovely fairy tale item. No. Yeah. Like, that sounds lovely, but I'm not getting in it. Yeah. No, no.
0: Also, we do just have so many more practical options now. Yeah. We especially do. once they invent my um, underground super fast trains that will carry you across the globe. Yep. just an ex- Once
1: we've just dug through the center of the earth and got on with it. Like, exactly. Unlike, like, just get some ambition going here.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Pull out our thumbs and get it moving. Cut down the center of the earth. Isn't that a plot point in the remake of? Total Recall.
0: Oh yeah, there is. Is There's a Olivia's. thing that
1: goes through the centre. God, oh, that's awful. Yeah, that's a real bad film.
0: It is not great.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, that's where you're getting your ideas from. That's good. Uh- <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I don't want to go through the centre. Just like under and around it. Yeah. You know, okay. und- under the crust under and then around. around. Just whizzing round. Yeah. Can't see
1: enough. I can- can't see how anything could go wrong. No, nothing at all. It might make jet lag even worse that is true yeah swings around abouts, i suppose yeah yeah all right what's our question for next week janina
0: what is our question for next week it is from where where, where oh here we go <laughs> uh this is from natasha at natasha almer on twitter she says at school i learned it was better to be a hetero than a wife is that how you say it hetero yeah, Hattara, yeah. Hattara, then a wife. Is this true? So my question, was it really to be a prostitute than a wife in ancient Athens? There you go. So we're
1: going to ancient Athens. Yeah, I'm
0: going to have to get a bit further through Assassin's Creed Odyssey to prepare for this question, I think.
1: Yes, absolutely. I see nothing wrong. I'll tell you what, actually. Connor started playing uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and there's a lot of people with Roman names in that, that. A lot of people called Drusus. Don't know what that's about.
0: Well, you know, it's
1: feel like they put quite a lot of effort into almost everything except the names. <laughs> <laughs> like so much effort into so much stuff and then we're like, can you think of any Greek names? No.
0: <laughs> Drusus. I don't, I don't remember there being a Drusus. Where does Drusus crop up? I didn't know There it was Drusus. Okay, sure. Uh,
1: I'm not going to, I have no idea what was happening in it.
0: <laughs> it's very good. Sure. Is Connor playing as Cassandra or Alexios?
1: Cassandra.
0: Good, excellent, 100% accurate.
1: The only thing that I did was I um, almost ruined a mission because uh, there was a, a woman, and a lot of the conversation options were to hit on the lady. Sure. And she w- kept going, Oh, we should go and do the plan. And I kept making Connor do the, We could make a plan in your bed. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Obviously. Yeah. Maybe we should fuck first, basically. Yeah. And then it seemed like I was coming on too strong and then she got upset with me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Jamie's take on that is that he will fuck any character that the option comes up for We'll try to. Because sometimes the flirt option comes up and then you do it and they turn you down. Um, But I was like, no, I'm only going to fuck the people I think are cool. Some of these people are clearly dicks. No, I mean, I didn't. I was the only one that I've seen, so I just was going really hard for it. Um, Oh, they come up a lot. All oh. of ancient Greece is thirsty as fuck for Cassandra, it turns out. Fair enough. Yeah. Which, yeah, um, fair enough, she's a badass. She's a babe. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Can't complain mm-hmm. about it. No. Janina, where can people find us? They can find us on Twitter at Sexy History Pod. Yes. Or
1: in our email inbox at sexyhistorypod at gmail.com. Or on Facebook at Sexy History Pod without the e no e and sexy yes
0: because no, nothing um, is allowed to be sexy on facebook yes or at Kofi,
1: which you can find by going to bit.ly slash support sexy history um and that is where i put all of the sources and things now so if you want to yeah. know what i've been reading including this week the most boring book i think i've ever read in my entire life <laughs> like, so boring (laughs) then you can that's where you want to be and you can also give us money if you want to you don't have to i had to buy a new cable this week so if you want you know um, (laughs) that's a thing that happened cost me 7.99 um or you i'm not on twitter again i've locked myself out
0: um but i am at nuclear teeth um and i definitely should lock myself out but haven't and i am at j9 and if And lovely Oliver
1: um, is at Kiwa. And that's all of our things. Leave reviews, say nice things about us, email your friends and tell them that you're good. Thank you to everybody who has emailed us to tell us that we're good. We like that. We do Um, like that. Someone emailed us in the middle of the night the other day, a person called Brandon, just to say that he liked us. That's very nice. That's very nice. It was very nice. I liked it. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks to everybody else who tells us that we're good. We like you too. Yeah
0: um, do. We like everything That will do That's a lie We don't like stuff. We, like, we don't like so many things <laughs> <laughs> So many things we hate
1: <laughs> Don't make us sound like idiots Janina. <laughs> uh, On that bombshell Good Goodbye Bye
2: Bye